0: Welcome to our Soul Food Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Princeton, West Virginia. We should pray, and I'm going to just jump into it, since we're 1106. Father, we just lift you up as we get started. We thank you that you are king of the universe, that you've called us and prepared us for good works. We pray that we would be faithful to do what you've called us to, that we would be uh, obedient and that we would be trusting you in all that we undertake Let we just lift you up as we get started in jesus name amen all right well last uh few weeks i've been with you we started on the psalms uh we're on to chapter four um let me give you a quick review uh the psalms uh the first chapter uh, David contrasts the blessed with the wicked and he compares the two um, and says you know, you'll be plant- like planted tree next to streams of water uh, but the wicked are not so um, in chapter 2 it's a prophetic psalm about the coming of Messiah and we talked about that a couple months back uh, and then the last time I was with you, we did Psalm three, which is the morning psalm and it reminds us of prayer in the morning, waking up and we talked about how David uh, was running from Absalom and in the midst of that he was able to go to sleep and recognize in the morning that God had sustained him despite any assistance keeping him alive. you know everybody's out to kill him and yet God sustained him and so he trusted in god well chapter four is the evening psalm and see the progression here he's uh moving morning evening david later on will say in the morning in the evening seven times a day i'll worship you uh he actually says in psalm one uh or was it psalm 119 uh my eyes anticipate the night watches that i may meditate on your word day and night i'll meditate on your word and so there's a pattern here of our attitude throughout the our lives that as we start our day we should focus on christ as we finish our day we should focus on god because he is present in all of it let's just get into chapter one for the choir director on stringed instruments a psalm of david answer me when i call o god of my righteousness you have relieved me in my distress be gracious to me and hear my prayer you know david starts out this the end of his day hoping to hear from the lord to ask for help, to sustain him through the night. And he says, when I call, answer me. But then he moves into the next statement, O oh God of my righteousness. You know, often we call on God and we fail to recognize who he is. We call out and like, oh, help me, whatever. And we don't really think about his position or our position before him he is our righteousness and david quickly moves into that statement he is the god of my righteousness it's interesting this is the only time that uh, this phrase is used in the whole bible we theologically know you know, it's our righteousness that he is, he is producing our righteousness. But this is the only place that this is used in this way. He is the God of our righteousness. That's his title. It's from him. Philippians 3.9 says, I, uh, not, I don't have righteousness of my own uh, derived from the law, but I have one which comes from God, On the basis of faith, I believe that God has done the work for me so that I can be counted righteous. You know, when we have a right attitude, then God hears us. And then David moves on to the next statement. You have relieved me in my distress. Often when we pray, we forget what God's done for us already. And so David makes a point of recounting in his life, you've been faithful. And so there's a reason for me to call on you. You are consistent. You've already expanded my territory, which actually this this word relieved can be translated in large. This is uh, released me from my restrictions. You've broken my bonds. You've torn down the barriers in my life. And the reality is that's what Christ is here to do for you. He wants to take down the barriers in your life, He wants to become the means for your righteousness. And he wants to answer you when you call. It's our job to have faith, to trust him, that he's faithful to do what he says he's going to do. He says, be gracious to me and hear my prayer. The reality is he doesn't have to answer. But his character is gracious. He's loving. And he answers when we call. Verse 2. O son of man, how long... Will my honor become a reproach? How long will you love what's worthless and aim at deception? His prayer quickly turns to society and humanity. He starts speaking prophetically from the heart of Messiah, saying, How long is this going to continue? How long are you going to rebel against the Lord of your salvation? How long are you going to look at Christ and consider him a reproach? How long are you going to disregard the Messiah? And that's really what society has done. And he says, how long? How long? And that should be our call, too. To each other, to the world. How long? Can you continue in what you're doing and see the result of what you're doing that's just degrading your life? How long are you going to continue in that? How long will you love the things that have no value? They're just worthless things, and yet you focus and you put all your energy into these things that have no value at all. How long will you aim at deception? David's heart is the heart of the Messiah. This is their problem. It is their heart. Their heart is backwards, dishonoring what deserves honoring, loving what has no value, and focusing its direction on what's a lie. What in your life is like that? What have you focused on that's a lie? What have you focused on that's worthless because God's calling you to redirect your focus to him to his kingdom to a new life to be transformed into his image there are aspects of all of our lives that are worthless that we love there are aspects that we've been very deceived in and we aim at it, at these things that we think are going to bring value or bring something redeeming to our life or something changing. And he says, it's a lie. It's all a deception in your heart. Colossians 3.2 says, Set your affections on the things above, not on the things of the earth you are dead and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Where are our affections? They're not to be on things here. They are to be on the kingdom and building the kingdom. What's the last commandment Jesus said? Go into the world and make disciples. What's your focus to be? Go in the world and make as much money as you can. Right? No. <laughs> It's a deception. It's a lie. The reality is, all of it's going to be burnt up and destroyed, except for the people in your life. Everything else is useless. It's worthless and vain. Your purpose is to build one another. It's not to build an empire. It's not to build meaningless things your kingdom, your house, your possessions. It's to build each other. How long will you aim at worthless deception, love worthless things? There are two deceptions. There's the internal deception. It says our hearts are deceptively wicked. Who can know it? We deceive ourselves. We think we're doing wonderful things. And we're not. Because our heart is for ourselves. We need to be transformed in His image. Because He is about others. He is about building glory for the King. And that should be our focus. To glorify the King. The second deception is from external means. There are people all around us trying to give us empty deceit, worthless things that you need to purchase or you need to strive for or you need to do something to get. He says those are all worthless. It's a deception. Ultimately, that deception that the society has created is a deception from the father of lies it says that he controls this world to deceive us to misdirect our focus and ultimately God's going to allow that deception to continue you know he asks how long is this going to go on it's going to go on till the end why don't you turn over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 um second thessalonians chapter 2 this is the man of lawlessness that's going to show up in the last days um, verse 9 that is the one whose coming is in accordance in accordance with the activity of Satan with the all power signs false wonders with all All deception of wickedness. What deceives us? Wickedness. For those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth. What are we supposed to be in love with? The truth. Jesus. His word. The truth. But when we fail to love the truth, They didn't receive it so as to be saved. For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they might believe what is false. There is a point where in your delusion, God will say, enough. Have it. It's your delusion. And you will end up destroyed in that delusion. If you don't turn your affections to Christ, so that they might believe what is false, in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth, but took pleasure in wickedness. Where is your pleasure? He says, what do you love? David says, Son of man, you love worthlessness. And your aim is at a deception. We need to think about that. Because that is a condemnation for all of us at different points in our life. Different areas in your life need to be redeemed to Christ. And each of us have our own deception. Each of us have our own failings in love where we are twisting our love away from Christ. And we need to yield that to his glory. Verse 3 says, But know that the Lord has set apart the godly man for himself. The Lord hears when I call. He doesn't hear the wicked but he does hear when we call, when we're set apart for his purposes. We're not to be like those that are prone to deception. We're not to be stuck with twisted hearts. Instead, we're supposed to be set apart for God's purposes. Ephesians two says, we are his workmanship. He's created us for a purpose. We are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There's a purpose for your life. There is a direction that he's prepared for you to do good works. That's your purpose. And he's prepared those even before you came to him. So that you can walk in them. So that you can prove that his spirit is alive in you. So that he can prove that his spirit is alive in you. We're prepared. We have a reason for living. And we can trust that he hears us when we call. That's exciting. When we know that he hears us when we call You notice here David is moving from this insecurity, oh Lord, please hear me, to the Lord does hear. Because he recognizes his position before him. He recognizes that God is gracious, that he is the means to redemption. And he's confident in the Lord. Verse 4, going back to the world tremble but don't sin meditate on your heart in your heart upon your bed and be silent it's interesting this word tremble can be taken a few different ways there's one sense in that we tremble at the word of the Lord at at the glory of God We're in awe of him. There's another sense that we're to be agitated. We're to be disquieted or enraged. Because there is evil all around us. There is a world of destruction trying to get into your mind and get into your heart and screw up your focus. And deceive you and take you to where you don't want to be. Or maybe you do want to be there because you love evil. He says tremble, be afraid, but don't sin. It's interesting. Ephesians says the same thing. Ephesians four twenty six, be angry, yet don't sin exactly the same thing we got the old testament new testament they're saying exactly the same thing be angry don't sin don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give opportunity to the devil ephesians 4:26 sounds very similar to verse 4 here tremble don't sin don't give place to the devil Meditate in your heart on your bed and be still. I would dare say that these two companion verses are saying exactly the same thing but they're qualifying how to do the other. Ephesians says, here's the, here's the obligation, the, the command. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Instead, Psalm says, In your heart, meditate in your bed. Get your focus right. Second, be still. Don't give place to the devil. It's a very interesting parallel. And if you go into Ephesians, you can see a little bit more parallel as you look at the context. I'm not going to do all that. (laughs) That'll take us a little longer. This practice of meditating on your bed is really interesting because throughout scripture there is references to this idea that we are going to take the evening and focus our attention back on Christ when did when did Jesus or when did God come and visit in the garden it was the cool of the evening they went and they took a walk it's a good example after that you have um, you have uh, Isaac um, walking out to the fields to meditate, which is actually where he's sitting, preparing himself, and his wife shows up. We're the bride, kind of reversed roles there. We're the ones supposed to be on the field meditating, waiting for the king to come. Later, you have um, in Joshua, the people are commanded to meditate on the law day and night. And there's a promise with it, um, that it will make you prosperous, that it will make you successful if you're careful to do all that it says. That is the law, not all the meditation says. And the reality is, there is a whole society that says, oh, we need to be in meditation all the time. But they never tell you what to meditate on. I think that's the key. We can follow the yoga instructor that says, empty your mind and think of nothing, be void. And just wait for something to come to you. That's not what God says. He never tells you to empty your mind and receive whatever comes to you. He always says, fill your mind with truth. Fill your mind with the word. That's a dangerous thing when you start emptying your mind. You're asking whatever to come in. And I promise, whatever will come in. And that's not a good thing. First Timothy says that uh, Paul tells Timothy to meditate on all that he's written. That's a good practice. Taking the time to just think about what the scripture says to you. And I think it's a good thing to do both in the evening and in the morning. If you look at the psalm, it happens in chapter 3. They're contemplating the things in the morning and in the evening. A few moments a day is a good practice. Psalm 63, 6 says, I meditate on you in the night watches. implies he does it all night sometimes just sits and takes that whole night it's interesting jesus goes off into the mountain in the evening and he meditates and he comes into the presence of god and prays and then he kind of wanders down the mountain and and walks across the water and scares all the guys (laughs) (laughs) He definitely has a sense of humor. (laughs) But that should be our heart. To just take the time before we go to bed. Meditate on the Lord. Focus. Go through all the struggles that we've had for the day. And realize that He's sustained us. He's continuing on. Verse 5 says. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and trust in the Lord. We can't change anyone else. We can only change yourself. It's you you need to work on. You know, so often we get frustrated by people around us, what somebody said to us through the day, what somebody's done, some situation that we're upset about, and we let it fester. And then we get angry or we get frustrated and then we lose sleep over it. He says refocus and then remember that it's you that you're offering to God. Offer the sacrifice of righteousness. And then just trust him with all the other stuff. We need to lay it all down and trust him that he's faithful to work it out. Psalms fifty-one seventeen says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O Lord, thou will not despise. you know that verse his sacrifice is brokenness it's interesting that he would say that after uh, his adultery experience once he's been called on it psalms 51 is his his kind of repentance psalm for that and he says lord just forgive me but a broken in contrite spirit you won't despise. You're gracious, you're forgiving. Hebrews thirteen and fifteen, let us offer up a sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. First we have to be humble, then we have to speak the truth. It's real simple. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Romans 12.1 Present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual act of worship. Act of service depending on which translation you're reading. Be not uh, fashioned according to this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good and acceptable and perfect will of God it's an interesting uh, progression here of humility of proclaiming and then taking action we can have one without the other and we're incomplete it requires all three first that we be humble that our words are consistent and that our actions speak louder than our words verse 6 many are saying who will show us any good lift up your light lift up the light of your countenance upon us O Lord the reality is the world has fallen. Society is crying out for hope. Who's going to show us good? There's actually two ways to read this. There's the way that says, in desperation, where is the good? There's the other side that says, Pfft, right there's nothing good here i don't really care i'm just it's all useless and the reality is that's the way the world responds to us sometimes why why would you believe in jesus not what that doesn't change anything it's not any good what was verse 1 he um or verse 2 you my honor has become a reproach. That's the way the world feels. It says, who's going to show us any good? The reality is, that's what Christ did. He showed us love. He showed us good in the midst of the evil. And he recalls, Numbers 6. Why don't we turn over to Numbers real quick. Um, Numbers chapter 6. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Chapter 6. This is called the Shema. Hero Israel. The uh, uh, Lord is one God. This is the section... They've been given the law. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, we're in chapter Chapter 6, verse 22. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and to his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall invoke my name on the sons of Israel, and then I will bless them. What's the response? He says, or the world says, who's going to show us any good? We are to be like Moses and Aaron invoking the name of Christ saying Lord shine your face upon them shine your light upon them so that they can see the truth of your love so they they can experience the grace and mercy that you've given me that's what David's doing here He says, My call for the world is to the Lord that He shine His face upon you. And the reality is, the light of His countenance is supposed to be the church. You're that light. Go into the world, make disciples, be a light. we are that hope for the world to reveal Jesus. That's what we're called to. To be a light in a dark place. Just as Moses' face shone after going up to the mountain. He came back down. Many people were afraid of him. They were disturbed by his presence. And the reality is, people today are disturbed by the church's presence by the presentation of the reality of a righteous God a holy God revealing himself to them they don't want to face it they don't want to hear his truth because it requires humility it requires a broken heart We are to be that light. Verse 7. You have put gladness in my heart. More than when their grain and new wine abound. Is that true of you? When you start seeing what God's done in your life, it should well up in you. It should bring joy. That's the Spirit doing that as we recount he has sustained us he's given us hope he's given us forgiveness he's given us grace and mercy over and over he's transformed our thinking to be new and refreshed our minds to his thinking more than with grain or new wine abound You've put gladness in my heart. Once we have a right attitude with God, the only response is joy. Because we realize what He's done for us. And it's exciting. Isaiah 61 says, He takes, uh, He gives us A garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. He takes those moments when you just don't know what to do. You don't know what to think. And he gives you peace. And he gives you hope. Deuteronomy says, actually Galatians uh, 5.22 says joy is the fruit of the spirit thus it results from the work of the spirit it's not quite, that's not what it says but that's the idea it's going through the fruits of the spirit and Paul in Romans starts praying in verse 15 may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the spirit that should be our prayer for each other that God fills us with hope and joy we need that we need to be in his presence and filled with joy Jesus commands us ask that your joy may be fulfilled sometimes we forget that God wants to give us joy And we remain in frustration. We remain in anxiety. He wants us to trust him so that we can have the fullness of joy. Deuteronomy 28.47 says, Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and gladness of heart, for the abundance of all the things you have. Therefore, you shall serve your enemies whom the Lord shall send against you. How are we supposed to serve the Lord? With joy and gladness. If we're not doing that, there is a condemnation. He wants us to have the best But if we don't want the best, he's going to give us the worst. The Lord shall send against you, and you'll serve those other enemies. Who do you want to serve? Your enemy or a God that loves you? And how do you serve him? Reluctantly or with joy? out of the overflow of the grace that he's given you. We need to be careful and meditate in our beds. Guard ourselves. He'll put gladness in your heart. Verse 8, In peace I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. It's only you. When I'm asleep, I have no protection. I have my little house. That's not going to protect me from a bomb. (laughs) That's for sure. Who knows what's going on in the world? Who knows what's going on around you? God sustains us. Psalm 37:7 says five, six, seven. Thirty seven seven. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him. Fret not yourselves because of him who prospers in the way. Because of the man who carries out wicked schemes, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It leads only to evil doing. For evil doers will be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord, they will inhabit the land. Yet a little while and the wicked man will be no more. And you will look carefully for his place, and he will not be there. But the humble will inherit the land, and will delight themselves in abundant prosperity. Where is your delight? In the abundance of God? Or is your love in something that's worthless? john fourteen twenty seven says peace i leave with you my peace i give you that's a promise and that should bring you joy i leave you with a poem by m cartree how blessed was that sleep the savior knew in vain the storm winds blew till he awoke to others woes and hushed the billows to repose how beautiful is sleep the sleep that Christians know ye mourners cease your woe while soft upon his Saviour's breast the righteous sinks to endless rest rest in the Lord today let's pray Father we thank you that you have given us your spirit to fill us with peace help us to realize the areas that we're misguided that we're deluded in Lord we want to love you and we know that there are areas that we love that are not right transform our minds Lord don't let us be conformed to the image of this world renew us into your character your image make us who you've called us to be in Jesus name Amen